For all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of the future. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, guys. Y'all already know. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I have links to that below. And if you're using an app or a website and you can't see links below, you can go to HuaweiTech.com slash podcast and you can get access to all that information. Or just follow us at Women in Tech with Ariana on Facebook or Instagram. (laughs) All right, guys. I am so excited for today's episode. We are going to learn so much. You all, I have a super special guest, Sophia Matveva. She is the CEO and founder of Tech for Non-Techies. And I'm excited to just pull from her brain. I know 50% of our listeners are devs and the other 50% of you are folks who are trying to get into the industry and figure out where is my fit. And maybe you're not as technical, but we have an expert here on the show who's, we're just going to pick her brain, ask some good questions and get it popping. So Sophia, we are so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled about this. And as I was saying, I love your intro. You are the future of tech. We are the future of tech. And what I love about this is that we have you who is on the development side and then you have me who is staunchly not on the development side. And we're both succeeding in this field where, which is actually a field that not many women even enter. And I just love that we are two different sides of the same coin. And I think we're giving people a good example. Yes. We are, and I'm so, you know, like I knew I had to feel, I was like, we're just going to jump right into it. But, <laughs> and you know, I think that's, that's the point of this episode, right? Is us busting those myths and allowing people to understand that it's okay to be on either or side or both sides mm-hmm. um, and to still build dope stuff. So let's, let's do this. Um, so Sophia, tell us about where you're originally from and where you're currently based. So I am originally from Moscow and in Russia, obviously, and I have lived in London most of my life, and I've lived in Chicago, and in Paris, and in Delhi, and currently I am living in the Côte d'Azur in the French Riviera. Literally the beach is uh, five minutes walk away from me, the sun is shining, because I took the opportunity during the pandemic to leave London. London is amazing, but the weather, especially in winter, it's just miserable, and you know, so I just thought, why not take the opportunity to go somewhere beautiful? And this is what I think a lot of the knowledge economy is allowing us to do. I know quite a few people who during the pandemic moved to a place that's basically makes them happier. If, you know, if we're not going into offices, why not go to the beach instead? Right. You know, it's crazy. Like, literally, I made that same move. So like I was living in Michigan, which is super cold here in the U.S., I mean, freezing, like my friends, they send me pictures of snow and like 40 degree weather. And I'm like, I am literally six minutes from the beach. Yeah. And it is beautiful. And like now that, like you said, because the pandemic showed us like, okay, wait, I need to live life a little bit more. And if either way I'm going to be stressed out, I might as well live in a place where like I can go outside and enjoy it. So I live in Florida um, and it is, it has helped me tremendously, like from mental health to overall Mm -hmm. productivity. I feel better. So I feel you on that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, overall, it, it's it's a complete 360 change for me in my life. But let's talk about, you know, your journey into tech. What got you into technology? Because I know you have a background in PR, but now yeah. you, you know, are in the tech industry. What was that journey like from like the beginning? So I began my career in the media, as you mentioned, and I was working in a company doing financial PR. And essentially, when a company is trading stocks or shares, not only does it you know, speak to the consumer press if it's a consumer company, it would also speak to the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times and CNBC. And that is going to be a different type of PR. Mm -hmm. Essentially, that's what I was doing because I was speaking to financial journalists and analysts about stocks and share prices, basically. And then I moved to a private equity firm. And, you know, the people who are working in private equity, they're supposed to be like the smartest and the best. And I got there and I just thought, well, this is rubbish. I really don't want to be here. And I kind of like got to the pinnacle. Mm. And I was looking at the pinnacle and I was thinking, I do not like any of this. Yeah. And then I went to India, worked in the art world for about a year, just, you know, it was like that was a total adventure. And then I ended up at business school. So I did my MBA at Chicago Booth. That's the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And that's when I was thinking, okay, so my resume looks good. Like I have done, I have done the things I was supposed to do. Right. But I don't want to go back to that world of high finance. I don't find it interesting. And I think, yeah, anyway, I didn't like it. Then I was thinking, well, the opportunity is in tech. That seems to be where all the growth is. That's where all the interesting stuff is. That seems, and also it seems like that's where people are having more fun. And I do think, you know, we spend so much of our time at work, going somewhere where you're going to enjoy yourself is so important. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I knew. I knew that tech was a thing and it was what I wanted. That's like, literally, this is it. And so when I was doing my MBA, I thought that the MBA would kind of sort that out for me. Like, that's kind of the point. I thought, you know, you go to a top business school, it teaches you all of these things. And then it teaches and it shows you opportunities that you didn't see before. And when I was there, one of the things that I got really interested in was entrepreneurship. And I was bouncing around several ideas. And then I came up with an idea, well, me and a team (laughs) came up with an idea for a fashion tech company where, women could get access to professional stylists, essentially a platform that connected women to professional stylists uh, via tech platform. So we got into the Chicago Booth uh, New Venture Challenge, which is the number one academic accelerator in the US. It's also where Grubhub got their start. So all the business stuff was looking good. And we're like, okay, we're gonna follow in Grubhub's footsteps. All of that is fantastic. The only problem was, all these business school students are led by me. None of us had a single clue about technology. Like, how do you build the thing? Like, yeah. the business plan is amazing. How do you build the thing? Despite not knowing any of this, I somehow managed to raise some money, mm-hmm. which I think, honestly, when you go to a, business, to a good business school, you can do this. Like, yeah. whether it's a good idea, or not, I don't know. Anyway, so I managed to raise some money with which I then was like, well, now I have to hire developers and hire a team. And I had no idea what I was doing, like zero. And this is, I somehow managed to, you know, get a product together. Our product has now been used by thousands of people at monetizers. It was the NT app was app of the day on Mashable. We were 
one of the top fashion tech startups, according to Grazia. So all these good things happen. But it was blood, sweat and tears, many tears. And what I found when I actually did end up working with a CTO and developers and designers was that I was really willing to learn. Like, I'm not lazy. I was willing to learn. But I didn't know what I was supposed to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you are a non-techie getting into this whole world of tech, Mm -hmm. even with the best of intentions, you don't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, go and do a coding course. Frankly, I was like, I I just spent $180,000 on a degree. I I don't want to do more. And, And also, if you're going to learn to code, I didn't know what a back end was or a front end. So like, where do you start? What do you do? And anyway, that's a very long-winded answer, but essentially I ended up in tech through the entrepreneurship route. And the thing that I found especially difficult is that for non-technical founders, I think that there's a lot of confusing information about what they should be doing to plug their knowledge gaps and where it's okay to have knowledge gaps and where it's absolutely not okay to have knowledge gaps. And I think this kind of thing, you know, especially going back to women, we tend to focus so much on the things that we don't know right. that we just end up getting overwhelmed by what we don't know rather than focusing on what we do know. Yeah. No, this, you touched on a lot of good, a lot of points um, and you have my mind going in, in many different directions here. One thing that I really want you to expound a a little bit more on is how like, yes, you went to the great business school and all all that good stuff and you got into the accelerator programs. But, you know, we, you know, we have listeners right now that listen to the show and they were similar to exactly where you are, where where, where you were, (laughs) right? When you, when you first started that fashion tech startup, what advice do you have for folks who are non-techies and they want to be a part of accelerator programs? They're not technical right? They, they want to have the startup. They want to raise the funding like you did and build this great team. You know, what, you know, I know there are a lot of mistakes that you made. So what would you do differently? What advice do you have for women who were in your shoes where you were years ago? The first thing is acknowledge the thing that you are and be okay with the thing that you're not. And that just inevitably means that some people, some funds, some accelerators are going to be more interested in you and some of this just won't. That is just it. Yeah. So for example, I am not a ballerina. So if I were to audition for the ballet, they would like, I don't think they would let me through the door to the audition. That is perfectly fine. Like I am okay with that. So if you're a non-technical founder, that means that there are accelerators who will literally not let you in. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. It doesn't mean that you can't succeed. It doesn't mean that you can't raise money. It just means that that particular opportunity is not the right one for you. Right. So just acknowledge that. The second thing is you do need to learn some stuff. So you do need to learn how to work with developers and designers and data scientists. You need to understand the basics of what tech people do so you can develop a common language And so you can have conversations where the both of you understand what you talked about, which, you know, that's a key problem. But I think it's so important not to get stuck in the books and not to get stuck taking one course after the other. 
you know, I am somebody like right now, I make money through courses. One of the things that is, I teach. So I am about to start teaching at a university actually in the US and I already teach with London Business School and I have an online course on Tech Front Techies. So literally, like I am kind of shooting myself on the foot by telling your audience, don't learn. But the thing is, my course is literally five weeks long and it does not cost thousands of dollars. What I see women doing, and I'm like this too, is we think, I'm non-technical. I don't know these things. So in order for me to become like an acceptable option, right. I need to take a long coding course. I need to invest thousands of dollars. And what we end up doing is we spend so much time learning. We spend so much time in the books yeah. that actually we never get to do anything. Mm-hmm. And what I always say is you got to learn a bit, do a bit. Learn a bit, do a bit. Because Ariana, I'm sure it's the same development. If you are just sitting there and doing courses, by the time you actually start doing something, you've already forgotten what you learned. Yeah. So you always have to learn a bit, then implement it. Just get going. You'll figure it out along the way. And because you you end up sitting on it, like you said, right? Like I have a good friend, uh, his name is Dominic Norton. And if he's listening to this episode, he will, he will crack up, but he always gets on me previously before, because he's like, okay, you're studying and you're YouTubing all this stuff. You're Googling all these things. You're spending hours on Stack Overflow. What are you actually building? So I started to like put myself into like these digital hackathons where I could challenge myself in a short amount of time to build something with other people. Like, and it helped to kind of get me out of that, like this cycle of feeling like I have to have all these accolades and of, you know, know everything and be the expert of every single detail. And that's not how you actually build and launch things. So I'm glad that you touched on that. And also in general, ladies, this is not how men think. I'm sure you've seen that research that uh, about how women apply to jobs versus yep. men, that, you know, there are 10, ten job requirements and a woman, a woman has nine, she'll be like, oh no, you know, I'm not qualified. And a man will have three and they'll be like, I am a shoe in for the job. <laughs> So if you're a non-technical founder, also another thing I would do is get inspired because I think what we see, the example we see is Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, a white dude coding, you know, from Harvard. And basically, if you're not that, you're screwed. (laughs) And actually, finding examples of successful non-technical founders who have built tech businesses I think it will also just shift your mindset to be like, oh, you know, the Silicon Valley narrative that we hear, yeah. it is one narrative. It yeah. exists, mm-hmm. but it is not the only thing. Absolutely. Jack Ma, who is one of the wealthiest people in the world, the founder of Alibaba, mm-hmm. he proudly says he doesn't know anything about technology. I mean, I don't believe that to be true now, but he was an English teacher. He taught English yeah. and he started Alibaba. And there are plenty more examples. So what, what strategies do you have, Sophia, about, you know, because really at the end of the day, especially for, I feel like non-techies, if you're developing a startup, you have an idea, it's really about getting people together in a room, right? And kind of like, I think it was um, the movie about either Steve Jobs, I think it was the Steve Jobs movie or Bill Gates, I can't remember, where basically he's explained, they were explaining that this CEO position or whatever is really about 
being the person who's controlling the orchestra, right? So you bring all the instruments together, you you listen to all the different sounds, you see what, you know, some people are high, some people are low until it's a be beautiful, smooth song, right? And you're putting people into the room. And so what, what advice do you have for folks who are trying to build that team who are non-technical, but also trying to, you know, get the language down together? Because I mean, that's what you essentially mm -hmm. have to do. Well, it's so interesting you said that because literally this week I just had an episode on my podcast called What Do Tech CEOs Do? No, it's What What Tech CEOs Actually Do. And I learned this, you know, again, through blood, sweat and tears and lots of failures on the job. So as you say, when you are leading a company, it doesn't matter if it's a very large company or a tiny company. When you're leading a company, you need to get different people together. So let's step away from technology for a bit because I think people get so scared that they kind of lose their bearings. Yeah. Let's imagine that you need to hire a lawyer. If you're going to hire a lawyer, you're not going to go to law school in order for you be, to be able to hire a lawyer. Like, right. That's not what you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to think about why you're hiring the lawyer. You know, If you are hiring a lawyer to deal with your intellectual property, you are not going to deal with somebody who is a divorce specialist. Like you just, you need to know that there are different types of lawyers. Absolutely. And you also know that you're getting a lawyer to, to get you a contract and to protect you from some kind of legal threat. But you don't need a huge legal mind in order to hire lawyers because that is why you're hiring them. <laughs> that is the whole friggin' point. So, and then once you've got your lawyer, you know, your lawyers are always going to give you uh, an assessment of a legal threat. And so like they're there to scare you. Mm -hmm. Then you will have the finance people. And I'm talking about like, imagine when you're in a big company, you'll have all of these different, different people telling you different things. Yeah. And essentially what you're always doing is you're setting a task. So what is our task? So for example, I don't know, imagine you're the CEO of Netflix and you are saying to your team, we need to expand our markets internationally. So your CTO might say, okay, in order for us to expand our markets internationally, we're going to have to have increased server capacity. Okay, your CFO doesn't, the person in charge of your finances doesn't need to know like why or like how that works, but they do know that server space costs money. Yeah. And so then they would say, okay, so how, do, how is that going to impact our costs? How do we need to be prepared? Okay, that's going to cost, I don't know, half a million. Then the CFO will be like, well, that means we need to raise another round of funding. Right. Anyway, so to your earlier point, I think what you need to do is you need to set a specific goal and then allow people to come up with their own ideas of how to reach it. Because your UX designer is going to, you know, imagine your goal is, we want to have 30% retention on our app in three months time. Like that's a very specific goal. Yeah. Your user experience designer would have a different solution to that same problem than your backend engineer. Your backend engineer might, I don't know, increase your server capacity or do, do you, you've got the answer to this. Your UX designer is going to maybe minimize the number of screens, but essentially in order to get people to sing of the same hymn sheet, as a non-technical founder, you will never be able to micromanage people because most of the time you don't really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. 
So what you need to do is you need to give people an aim and you need to give that aim a specific amount of time. So this is our goal. We want to reach this product goal within three months. Then literally every time that you have a product meeting, which is going to be every week, yeah. you see, are you close to that goal? Are you getting closer to your retention levels increasing? Okay. Like, okay, you are, what did you do? What features did you release? Okay, do more of that. And so it's setting goals, monitoring process, and allowing people to get on with it that I think allows you to reach your goals and also makes for a happy team where you are not annoying everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, that is so key, like having those different communication tactics. Now, Sophia, I'm curious, you know, what, so now let's kind of get more into the tangible side of, um, you know, we have listeners on the show who are listening right now and they're like, okay, um, they have good advice on how to start the tech startup. They have all these different strategies that you shared on how to communicate with different people on your team, how to build this team. But what about actually building the tech solution? What are some resources that you can share, um, applications, whatever that you have found to be helpful for folks who are non-technical but want to build non-technical apps or sites? So first of all, I always tell people that do as much as you possibly can without paying for any developers or for any designers. So get as much, you know, if you want to have a community kind of solution, then see what you can do in a Facebook group. Yes. If you want to have some kind of content behind a paywall, look at something like Kajabi. What can you do with MailChimp and Squarespace? You know, literally just look at what's out there. Then once you have already exhausted all of that, then there are quite a few no-code apps around. So Bubble is one that I've heard quite a lot of good things about. So Bubble allows you to go from idea to an actual app with code that allows you to prove your, that can help you prove some of your assumptions. Then there are also prototyping tools. InVision, for example, is a way for you to go from idea to essentially something that looks like an app and feels like an app but doesn't contain any code. So I'd say these things are very good to test your assumptions. And I think at this stage, at an early stage, you need to think of yourself as an investor. So whether you're going to raise money or not, you're pitching to yourself. This is why no-code solutions like Bubble are really useful for you to not invest that much money, go from idea, test, test it, show it to users, see whether people are using it. Once you see, okay, yes, some people are using it, then you might want to take it to the next level and start working with, with designers and developers. But no-code apps are a good way for you to, to start. I completely 100% agree so for me like i'm a 3x founder right so i'm on my third startup that's actually profitable i always say the the first two were great experience for me and i failed and learned a lot of good things and also had a lot of successes but one of the first things i did um for the second team i was a part of a cannabis tech company in michigan and um so i was the co-founder and cto and my i remember being in the first few meetings with the team and I was like yeah so I think that we should focus on building our app using a no-code solution because it makes no sense for me to try to spend four or five months you know developing a native application where I'm you know and 
really longer than that. That's assuming that there's no change, mm-hmm. no errors and no mistakes. And that all the consumers will love the first version, which is completely which never, never <laughs> happens. And so you are, that's another quick sidebar. If you are a new tech startup founder, you're developing app or application, it will take you time. It's okay for customer discovery and getting people to like your product. But anywho, that was one of the first things I told them was let's not focus on, you know, just being able to say we coded this full developed app just because we can say and try to make it the Y Combinator. Let's focus on just building the community first, right? And I love that you talked about that because I think it's really taboo nowadays, especially I feel like whether you're non-technical or technical, but it's very taboo to say, oh, just start a Facebook group and see where it goes or, you know, start the newsletter on MailChimp like you were just saying, but it's really important to figure out I what I like to do with a lot of my clients, like when they come to me and they're like, I wanna build a mobile app, I'll ask them why. And I'm like, okay, if you wanna build a mobile app, but you don't even have a website, that's not even like that. We shouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there are steps you need to take before you scale and go to the next level. But I, I totally agree with you, Sophia, on starting small, don't hire that developer. And this is coming from a developer like who does stuff mm-hmm. full time, like I take projects. So if you need me, hit me up. But I, I don't accept projects from folks who, you know, they haven't started from somewhere first because, mm-hmm. it'll, and then when you start small with no code solutions or whatever, or just a Facebook group, or whatever, it allows you to, to, to really understand if your product is solving an actual problem. Because a lot of times we'll start up with feature ideas like, oh, our app's gonna do this and do the same thing as Facebook with a clubhouse feature. And then you launch it and users are like, oh, actually, I just really want this one button like that does this and turns green and you're like oh okay so aka pivots change right um I'm not pivots change but pivots will happen in your startup and you will have to change um so I love that you kind of touched on um you know just starting you know with the MVP right minimal viable mm-hmm. product and then go into hiring and developing the team so isn't it interesting that on this podcast so far me a person who literally teaches an online course I've been like don't don't spend all your time on online courses, do stuff. And you, a developer, you're like, don't go straight to developers, <laughs> have a Facebook group or use MailChimp first. But I think, again, I do think that this is, this means that we actually have people's best interests at heart. Like yeah. literally, I had a chat today with yeah. somebody who was just like, can you can you help me go from idea to app? Should I be taking your course? And I spoke to her, I was like, no, no. Not yet, maybe at some point, but what you need to think about right now is what is the problem you're solving? Who are you solving it for? Really discover that. Then, you know, once you figure that out, you know, like listen to my podcast, get some basics from there. And then at some point you might need my course, but maybe you won't actually need to go from idea to app. Maybe you could take whatever, I don't know, MailChimp and just use that for a while <laughs> like it's way cheaper than you know working working with a whole product team absolutely I completely agree with you and so um about your podcast so Sophia um what are opportunities and ways people can stay connected to you plug the podcast tell people where they can follow you and you know listen to your episodes well uh if you're in the south of France you can come and drink rosé with me um <laughs> Sorry. I love it. Yes. We got one in France. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I'm not going to be here forever when the pandemic's over. I am going to have to go back to the real world. But right now, this is glorious. Uh, so you can uh, listen to me on the Tech Fun and Techies podcast. We have a useful show every single week on Wednesdays. There's also more learning stuff on Tech Fun and Techies on Instagram and Tech Fun and Techies on Facebook. And if you want to delve even deeper, then literally just go to techfunontechies.co and on the mailing list i'll send you information about all of our upcoming free classes because you know there's a lot that you can do to learn for free and if you want to go deeper then we can absolutely do that but i think i think that's enough info for you. Oh, <laughs> and sophia where do people what's your twitter and stuff so people can follow oh god you? i forgot yeah my twitter i love my twitter uh i forgot about twitter and clubhouse i've recently just discovered clubhouse and yeah. i'm doing so on Clubhouse, I actually run Techcon on Techies, the, the club, and we have non-technical founder office hours every Thursday wow. at 2 p.m. EST. So if you've got specific questions as a non-technical founder, come to that or just join the club. And on Twitter, I'm on Sophia Matveva, so S-O-P-H-I-A-M-A-T-V-E-V-A. Awesome. <laughs> It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. You shared a lot of gems um, that I think can help a lot of people to actually develop and feel confident that like- Because yeah. it's not just about knowledge, it's about confidence. I think I think we women, we tend to over-index on the knowledge Absolutely. and under-index on the confidence. Yeah. So we need to balance. Yeah, balance. And once that dial turns, the world yes. will make way. We're coming for every funding, all the VCs. Make room. <laughs> we are going to be the VCs. I mean, I just, the more women that are building and funding tech products, the better products we'll have. And they won't all be about ordering takeaways or getting your laundry. Yes. Like, come on. Yeah. We, we can do more than that. That was a good side conversation that we had outside of here. But no, you're, you're so right. We, who, uh, who better else to solve the problems that we face every day but us? So, Sophia, you were awesome. Thank you so much for listening. For you guys that are listening to the show, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe. We are on YouTube as well. So this episode will be on YouTube. Um, make sure you share this with all your friends. And I will talk to you guys next week. Women in Tech with Ariana out.